0: It's always an honor to ha- get to speak from the pulpit to the body of Christ and to our pathway family. You guys are I love y'all. We love y'all. Our staff being we really love y'all. It's just it really an honor to to speak. Um speaking of spiritual warfare, this last couple of months is it's been kind of wild and crazy. Um I for me personally, I've had, you know, people who don't like me in my life, people who are, you know, people say things about me or misconstrue things that I say, um, misunderstand, misquote, like we all do. But I've not very often felt like someone hated me. I felt that this last few weeks that, you know, just like, I think they. Hate me, like, like hate me, hate me, and of course I'm like, okay, I know what's behind that. It's the enemy. He hates me. Oh, that means he's and he's showing it. He's scared. (laughs) So then I'm like, "Mm." Christy Ingram. I think she she says the enemy's overplaying his hand. He's scared. I'm like, that's right. He's he's trying so hard to make me feel hated because he's so afraid. And I think it's, he's afraid of this revelation that God has given me, and he doesn't want me to share it, but I'm sharing it, and I'm excited about it. <laughs> We're going to take over the world. Okay. Um, so this, what I have to share today has, it's something that God has been speaking to me, taking me on this journey for several months. So I have to take several months worth of stuff, cram it into 34 minutes and 50. Four seconds. So I sat down with Pastor Marty and we went over the message uh, this weekend. And I do that anyway if I'm going to speak because he's a sermon genius. Um, so good at speaking. But he had to help me whittle down, whittle down, whittle down, whittle down, whittle down. And so I feel like I'm giving the bones of the, this revelation. There's a lot more to say to it, and I'm excited because with our Sapphire meetings, I get to unpack some of it, put some meat on bones, and maybe a little fat in there, um, so I hope all the women can come, and please register, because we, we want to have enough desserts and coffee for everybody, right? Okay, I'm going to jump in here. I am going, we're gonna, where we're going to start is Ephesians 5, 25, and we're going to hit... Come back to Ephesians a few times, but the message that the Lord has given me is that the church is the bride of Christ. Now, when I say that phrase, I know in my own mind I was like, God, I'm not going to call this message "bride of Christ," even though that's what you're saying. I'm going to call it "radiant church" because that sounds better and it's not cliche and People won't tune me out. I feel like with women, we've heard bride of Christ, bride of Christ, bride of Christ so much that it's become cliche and then sometimes it's it's silly, used in silly ways. And for men, it's like, oh, well, this is a message for the women. So I'm going to tune out. This is a message for everyone. This is a message for the body of Christ. This is a message of who you are, every person sitting in a seat, who God sees you as, who God says you are, what you have in this world. So I'm going to ask that everybody engage, and I, I really feel like God will speak to every single person in this room. Okay, so Ephesians 5, 25, verse through 27, Paul is writing to the New Testament church, and he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So the context of this um, is a husband and a wife. And then it talks about Jesus is gonna present the church to himself. And in the context, you can say as a bride to himself. And we are actually gonna see how that is true, that we are his bride. And this encapsulates to me a lot of the gospel because it shows the plan from the beginning, was to one day have a bride that Jesus would present this bride to himself, but he had to lay down his life to make her holy and blameless so that we, the bride, could dwell with Christ, right? So God took me on this awesome journey of showing me some things, and I'm going to walk it. the highlights with y'all. The first thing that God showed me is... The church is Zion. And we don't use that word very often in our language today, so it's all through the Bible, but we don't say Zion very often in everyday language. So I want to explain to you what Zion is and why Zion is so important. And I'm going to show you Zion in the natural and Zion in the spiritual. And so many times God uses the natural as a foreshadowing of what's happening in the spirit or what's to come in the spirit because we're natural people and we can't understand things that we have no frame of reference for like i've heard people talk about they've gone to heaven and they come back and share what heaven is like and they're like there are these colors and these things and this stuff and Ah, you can't explain it because there's no frame of reference for it. We don't have words for it. We don't have pictures for it. We don't have experiences for it. So what the Lord does is create in the natural to explain what's happening in the spiritual. And we're going to see this a few times. So with Zion... The reason why Zion is so important begins with actually Moses. So we're starting Exodus, going to go all the way to Revelation, really fast. Okay, so Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And during all that process, God had him construct the Ark of the Covenant. So in the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was made out of wood, a special kind of wood. It was covered in gold. Underneath it had um, four rings that were made out of wood, covered in gold. And the Levites, you had to, they had to put poles through the rings and the Levites would carry the Ark of the Covenant. But no man could touch the Ark of the Covenant because it was holy. Okay. And inside the Ark... Aaron's rod, Ten Commandments, and a bowl of manna. And how the manna didn't go bad. Anyway, but on top of the ark was this covering, like a lid, kind of like a bench, covered in gold. And on either side were two cherubs made of pure gold. So the two cherubs faced each other and their wings wrapped around their bodies and then touched between them. So you have this space um, that's holy. The the Ark of the Covenant was housed in the tent or the tabernacle. And later it was, well, we'll get there. It was housed in the tent or the tabernacle. And then Moses would go into the tent and God would speak to him from that place, and the in, the Hebrew word for that is kaporet. I may be butchering that to pieces, but it means mercy seat. So, Ark of the Covenant is holy, covered in gold. It's where the manifest presence of the Lord would come, and Moses could go in and meet with the Lord. So God. Made a way, God so much wants to meet with us that He made a space, made a place that was holy that He could come and rest, and meet with His, with Moses at least at that time. So He, when He came down, it was um, there was a cloud, a glory cloud called the Shekinah glory of the Lord, and that's where the divine and the natural could meet. And the way the Hebrew children knew where to move and when to move was the cloud would move. So they would move with the cloud. So the Ark of the Covenant moved around. There's a lot of history there, but with the children of Israel. And then... um, Okay, so let me go back a little bit. Later in Jewish history, the high priest eventually... After Moses and everything, the high priest would go into um, the Holy of Holies in the temple or the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and um, present an offering, a sacrifice to the Lord for their sins and for the sins of the people. And they only could go in one day a year, and that was the Day of Atonement. And studying Jewish history and customs, the Day of Atonement is the most sacred day, the most sacred day day of the year, for the Jews even today, um, because it's when the priests would go in and, and, and meet with the Lord, really, and then make sacrifices. Um, so this is actually not where I'm going with this, but I just have to say this part. Um, so we have the Ark of the Covenant, the bench, the, cherub- the cherubs, Fast forward to when Jesus died on the cross, was buried, resurrected. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb because she's looking for Jesus. And the tomb was actually a cave. So she runs inside and she's looking around for for his body and it's not there. And um, what she sees is this bench place where Jesus' body had been laying. And on one side was this angel at the head of where Jesus was. And on the other side was another angel at the feet of where Jesus was. Anyway, it's such a beautiful picture of the mercy seat. That is, that is our mercy seat right there. Anyway, <clears throat> love that. <clears throat> okay, so... Um, David, so we'll fast forward. David, King David um, wanted to have, okay, so the Ark of the Covenant rested in Hebron when everything was said and done for a while. Hebron became the capital of Israel. So David, when he became king, wanted to move the capital of Israel to Jerusalem. Inside of Jerusalem was a fortress. A mountain called Zion but David had to capture Zion so that he could move the Ark of the Covenant to this this mountain so he captured the fortress of Zion and then he moved the Ark of the Covenant to Zion and and this is where the Ark stayed rested Um, and then later Solomon built the temple there Ark of the Covenant is there so that is why Zion is so important is because of the, um, the presence of God was there in Zion. Um, so in the natural, if you look, when you read about Zion in the Old Testament, it is um, described as the place where God is enthroned, the place where he dwells, where the word of the Lord goes out, the place where people share of his good deeds, get support, help, deliverance, answers from God, Abundance is brought into it. The place where we see the glory of the Lord and become radiant. The place where we go from being forsaken and hated to having everlasting joy. Its walls are salvation and its gates are praise. The Lord is the everlasting light. It is the city of the Lord. But that is in the natural. David really wanted to build a house for the Lord. And, and Solomon later was able to do that. But, but God says, I don't dwell in houses uh, made of hands. He dwells in the hearts of his people. So there is a spiritual Zion. Um, Psalm 87, which is Old Testament, and it is speaking of, it is written as of the natural Zion, but it is Speaking of spiritual Zion in the future, so we we'll read it. Um, it says, On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things, are, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. Okay, this is a very important verse right here. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, for the Most High Himself will will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the people, this one was born there. I read that, I'm like, what is the significance? Why does the Lord write down those who are born in Zion? Why is he recording that? And then I'm like, I've heard that somewhere before about God writing something down about people who are born. Um, actually, in Revelation 21:27, it says that, um, speaking of the holy city, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm like, okay. So in Zion, the people who, their significance of the people who are born in Zion. If you're born in Zion, God writes and records your name. And then in Revelation, it talks about those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then this in Hebrews is so cool because it shows how it shows natural Zion was pointing to the church of today and 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 those who are born of the spirit today. Okay, so if we can put up the Hebrews 12:22 um okay, it says, but you have come. Okay, this is New Testament speaking to the church, the New Testament church, which is us today, which is you sitting in these seats, which is Pathway and the other churches of this area and the other churches in Texas, and the other churches in the United States, and the other churches in the world, and the people um, from the time of Christ until the end. This is speaking of the church, the New Testament church. Um, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, that's what we are, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So you and I were born in spiritual Zion. So all of the stuff that the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about Zion belong to us. And I think about the Lord saying... I love the gates of Zion more than any other of the other gates of Judah. I have, for the longest time, I wish that I had been born a Jew because the Jews are God's chosen people. They're like his favorite. So I'm like, ooh, I wish I could have been born Jewish. You know, I want to be God's favorite. Um, But reading this, and, and reading, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than, more than any of the other gates of Judah. He, he was talking about us today, the church today, that He loves us so much. So we are born in Zion, our citizenship is in Zion. So the next thing that the Lord showed me was that Zion is actually His bride. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's a lot of scripture, but I'm going to summarize. It talks about, in the natural, Adam was born of the earth. And then the last Adam, who is Jesus, was born of heaven. And Adam became a living being. Jesus became a life-giving spirit. And also we know that Eve was taken out of Adam's side. She is the natural Eve. And then the church was taken out of Jesus' side. When Jesus' side was pierced on the cross and blood and water flowed out of that, the church was born and, and Eve was taken out of Jesus' side. She, the church is spiritual Eve. So back to Ephesians 5, um, 25 through 27, then we'll just look at that verse again. Our, we'll look at 27 where he says, He will present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus laid down his life to have a bride. And then in Revelation 21, 9 through 11, it really pulls all of this together. Um, John was on the Isle of Patmos and in exile, and he had a vision. Thus, we have the whole book of Revelation. It's a lot. But this part talks about who we are. Um, It says... Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven le- the seven last plagues spoke to me saying come i will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city jerusalem now remember zion was in jerusalem and in the old testament you can Jerusalem and Zion are interchanged quite a bit, even in the New Testament. J- Jerusalem, you can put in Zion or Jerusalem, either one. Um, they're the holy city. So he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So here we have Zion... Is the church and Zion is the bride and the New Testament, so that means the New Testament church is his bride. So when I think about um, relating to the Lord as a slave, or if I think about relating to the Lord as um, a pauper or uh, however. It's a completely different way to relate to the Lord than as a bride. And I've thought about, as I've been studying this, I've thought about the book of Hosea so many times. And if you're not familiar with it, um, Hosea was an Old Testament prophet, and God had him marry a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. And they were married, and then she would leave, go back into prostitution and slavery, and he he would buy her back out of that, They'd be married for a while, and she'd go back. And then Hosea would go buy her back out of slavery and prostitution. Then they'd be married for a while, and she'd go back. Um, I think that that the church often sees themselves as Gomer, this not worthy to have a husband, not worthy to be married to a Hosea or to Christ. But that's not who we are. We, we, we don't have to relate to the Lord as a slave or as a prostitute that's unclean and unworthy. But I think us, even in worship, it's like we come into worship sometimes and we have this desperation of, please don't reject me. I am destitute and I'm not worthy, and, but you know, please don't reject me. That's one way to connect with the Lord. But what, the, what Jesus died for and, and God has made for Jesus is a bride who is holy and blameless. And so when in worship and we're relating to the Lord and connecting with the Lord out of I'm holy and you thought I was so valuable that you laid down your life for me, and i 'm madly in love with you and you are madly in love with me that 's a whole different connection than coming to the Lord as Gomer when we, but when we can come as His bride that he finds holy and blameless and worthy and lovable right um, just one quick story um, God was taking me through showing me through this, showing me this stuff anyway through the fast as well, adding some layers to it and Colin Huddleston had a word um, out of Romans where he's talking about that we present our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. And for me, I am not a morning person, y'all. I'm just not a morning person. I wish I was. I try to be. I'm just not. I really try. Anyway, I'm just not. But my whole life, the Lord, at least my whole adult life, the Lord's like, okay, I, I want you to get up early and spend time with me. And I'm like, really? I mean, can we like take lunchtime or maybe the afternoon or evening's good in the evenings sunset let's just sit out and watch the sunset together that's a really good time for me but early in the morning before everything is going not a good time for me um, but i would do it and i would think of this scripture you know i present my body a living sacrifice to the lord and so it was like okay i'm going to get up early and grab the whip and go spend time with the lord sacrificing, you know, you can do this, and like, I love you, Lord. And always, God is so sweet and so kind, but still, in my heart, it's like, do you see this sacrifice I'm making here, you know, for you? Um, But Colin spoke that word during the fast, and he read, like, presenting your body a living sacrifice. And what I realized in that moment is I am madly in love with Jesus, I am madly in love with him. And I want to worship him any way I can. And I don't have that many, I don't have that much to give him to worship with. I mean, I sing like everybody else, not as good as some, but I do sing. And there are ways that I worship him. But that scripture says that we present our bodies a living sacrifice to him. And all of a sudden, what I saw was me as his bride, and him saying, hey, I want to spend time with you. I want you to get up before everybody else so I can talk to just you, just you and me, some special time together. And instead of it being like, okay, grab the whip. I'll make my sacrifice. It was, I have a physical body that I can offer to you and give up a little bit of sleep And I can worship you that way and I can connect with you that way and you wanna be with me. I'm like hitting that that alarm goes off early, huh, Marty? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And I hit snooze maybe sometimes, but it's it's a whole different ball game. It's like my husband is wanting me just to give up to sacrifice my body a little bit and spend time with him and connect with him. It was just, it changed for me so much. Um, Okay, the last point, the last thing that I'm going to share is God then showed me the bride is the kingdom builder on this earth. So God's plan from the beginning of time, even in Ephesians it talks about before the foundation of the world that he chose us in Christ that he predestined us. So God's plan from the beginning of time was to create a bride for his son. And before this bride, before she even knew who she was, God had provided through Jesus everything she needed. Just like Eve had in the garden, everything she needed. The church or the bride has everything that we need. But the enemy came to Eve and he asked some questions and he put doubt in her mind and he comes to the church and he puts doubt in our mind and he, what he questions, what he questioned to Eve and what he questions to the church really is, is God good? He asks us that same thing, doesn't he? The enemy comes. We have experiences in our lives and it's like, gosh, if that happened is God really good? Can I really trust him? Like with Eve, God said, did God really say you can't eat of that fruit, of everything? Did God really? The thing is, is God doesn't want your eyes to be open so you can be like him. You want to trust somebody like that? That's what he's saying to Eve and what he's saying to the church. In our situations and circumstances and experiences, he let you down again. Can you really trust him? Or he says to Eve, you're not who he says you are. God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he doesn't want you to see and be like him. You don't really rule and reign on this earth. You can't subdue the earth. God just doesn't want you to be like him. And with us, he says, Does God, are you really who God says you are? Are you, are you supposed to really take over the world? Like, what do you... How can you take over the world? What do you have? You're just trying to survive the day. How can you take over the world? Just try to get through the day. Or do you really have everything that he says, everything that Jesus provided for you? You don't have access to that. You know why? Because you're not good enough, because you're a sinner, because who do you think you are? And if you think you have all that, then you're prideful. So you're going to go from sinner to prideful that's real nice, you know? So that, the enemy comes to us and, question, and puts doubt in our minds, just like he did with Eve. Because even though we may not see that we're the bride of Christ, the enemy sees it. He knows it. And he's doing everything he can to make sure we don't know it. He's afraid of us knowing it. Right? But... What we're going to do now is I'm going to show you... Okay, there are 66 books in the Bible. I've, God's been having me just stay in Ephesians and Isaiah a lot. But Ephesians... So what I did, for the sake of time, is I went through chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 6 of Ephesians. And I pulled things out that God has given us and that He... And, things that he says we are, okay, that Jesus provided for, took care of on the cross, that we don't have to do anything to receive except trust God and have faith in him. Like our part to access all of of what we're about to read is to trust the Lord and have faith in him. Jesus did it all, all. And we don't even know it. We don't even know it. Okay, but we're going to know it today. (laughs) We are going to know it. Anyway, so what I'd like for y'all to do is read this with me. And I want y'all to know that Jesus loves you so much. And from before the beginning of time, God's plan was for you to be Jesus' bride. And before you even knew it, Jesus laid down his life for you so you could have access to all of this through trust and faith in the Lord. Okay, so y'all read it with me. God has given me grace that he lavished upon me, peace, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, wisdom, understanding, a glorious inheritance, rich mercy, kindness, revelation, salvation, And great power. God is my Father and my Lord. I am equipped for battle to stand against the attacks of the enemy. I have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. I am chosen, blessed, holy, blameless, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven predestined according to His purpose, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, alive in Christ, raised up with Christ, seated in heavenly places with Christ, and greatly loved. All of this is God's will, God's purpose, and God's good pleasure. Amen, y'all? Amen. Okay, so this is what we have. Um, And in Matthew 16... Jesus is talking to Peter, and, and um, he's, people are saying Jesus is one person. People are saying Jesus is another person. And G- Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, you're, you're the Christ, the Son of God. So then Jesus says, I will build my church or my bride, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. And Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven to the church or his bride. And whatever she binds on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever she looses on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's a lot of authority, isn't it? That's that's if if I bind or you bind something on earth, then all of heaven is going okay, bound up here. If I lose something on earth or you lose something on earth, all of heaven is saying, loosed up here. That's a lot of authority that we don't know we have access to. We don't know we possess. So um, I was thinking about when, um, I I used the example before when I spoke before that, when I come into the church, I'm Marty's wife and I help plant the church. But if I walk into the church and not knowing who I am, and I say, "Hey, hey Tim, would it be okay if I walk back to the kitchen and get a bottle of water?" Would that be like so weird? You'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yes." Are you you're asking me to get you something? What you know? It's just weird. Why? I I have authority to walk back and get a bottle of water. I have the right to walk back and get a bottle of water. I have access to all the water that I want, right? Because of who I am. But I was thinking with this um, about being married into my husband's family. So my birth last name is not straight, it's Bull. And I am not... um, a sister of Marty and Mark. I'm Marty's wife. His parents, Ron and Sue, are not my parents. Yet, when we married, I became a straight. I have his last name. I have Ron and Sue's last name, his parents' last name. And everything he has access to in the straight family, I have access to in the straight family because I have his name. And I was thinking about um, one, a few years ago, well, not a few years ago, several years ago, when Luke was a baby, um, he got sick, stomach virus, and um, like 10 days, stomach virus. And I ended up getting sick too. And the doctor, you know, said, you just need to watch him, make sure he stays hydrated. But if he starts crying and there are no tears and you need to take him to the emergency room, where Marty's in Honduras... And I have a stomach virus, and Luke's crying, and there are no tears coming out in the middle of the night. So what do I do? And I think, I'm not sure, I don't think my parents were, I think they were traveling or something. So I picked up the phone, and I called Ron and Sue. I didn't pick up the phone and call Marty and go, hey, could you call your parents and on your behalf ask if they would come and and meet me at the hospital? No, I called them. I called them, they answered the phone because it was me, not because it was Marty, because it was me. And I said, hey, need some help. So they met me at the hospital. I, as his wife, have the same access to his parents that he does, to what he has as a straight that he is, And we, as the church, have the same access to the Lord and what Jesus has access to in the Spirit that Jesus does, because we are his bride. Um... When we realize our identity as the bride and the authority we've been given, we will stand on this earth in the position of the bride. Not in a place of entitlement, but knowing our inheritance and our position, ready to serve Jesus and his body. I feel like the bride of Christ right now on the earth is looking over here at all the things we just read in Ephesians and saying, I wish I was loved. i got to figure out how to be accepted. There's an. I, I need to learn how to get access to an inheritance. I, I need to be good enough for all of those things that we already possess. We, as the bride, spend our time and our energy trying to get what we already have. We already possess it. We just have to have trust and faith in the Lord. But the enemy comes to us and says, you don't have any of that stuff. It's not yours and you're not good enough. You're not loved. You're not accepted. All of those things. And so we're always trying to get love, always trying to get acceptance so that we don't look over here. But what I'd like to do this morning is turn your faces over here and go out here is purpose, calling, mission. And I'm back I, because I'm loved, because I know who I am, because I'm accepted, because I, I, I'm equipped for battle. I can go into my purpose and my calling and my mission, and I can take over the world. I can do my part to take over the world. We need to turn our faces this way and spend our time, our focus, and our energy knowing who we are, and we need to be confronting the injustices of the world. We need to be conquering new territory. We need to be increasing the kingdom of heaven, because we're, we're ready. We have it. We're equipped for it. So that scripture, Psalm 87, that says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. He's talking about you. He's talking about you. This beautiful bride. Um, what, what I do know is all of this stuff from Ephesians... We can't really know that we have it just from hearing someone say it from the pulpit or just from even reading it in the Bible. I love reading the Bible, and I think you should read your Bible, but just reading it and knowing it in your head doesn't transfer it to your heart. What really connects you to all of this is experiencing the Lord. And because of fear, shame, anxiety... Guilt, whatever, we will shut our hearts down and not, not, not be, not allow the Lord access there. But God wants access to your heart. He wants connection with you. He wants relationship with you. And in that, He can speak truth. He can. I can tell you, hey, you're loved by God, and that's in your. Head. You're like good. That's awesome. I know that in my head. But when you go out and face, um, you have a, an experience that doesn't feel like you're loved by God. If you don't know it here, this is, where the, this is where you think truth. This is where yourself says this is truth. Okay? So what I want y'all to do, I want y'all to stand with me. And I want you to lay down fear, anxiety, shame, guilt, unworthiness. And I want you to close your eyes and open your hearts up to the Lord to receive what He has to say to you today. And I want you to hear His voice. And I'm going to ask Pastor Marty to come up and read Isaiah 62 over you. And this is a love letter to, from God to His bride. And I want you to hear it from His voice because He has the voice of a husband And I have the voice of a bride. But I just want you to hear the Lord speak these things as a love letter to you, over you.
1: All right, let's just take a moment, maybe bow your heads and just turn your affections toward God. And this is really just a time to connect with Him. And I'm just going to read from Isaiah 62. But this is where God is speaking over Zion or over Jerusalem. He interchanges them in this chapter. But... um, I want you to take a moment. I want you just to hear from the Lord and connect with him and let God really speak to you in this moment. It says, because I love Zion, I will not keep silent. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness, world leaders will be blinded by your glory, and you will be given a name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see, a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God, for the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. The Lord has sworn to Jerusalem by his own strength. I will never again hand you over to your enemies. Never again will foreign warriors come and take away away your grain and new wine. You raise the grain and you will eat it, praising the Lord. Within the courtyards of the temple, you yourselves will drink the wine you have pressed. Go out through the gates, prepare the highway for my people to return. Smooth out the road, pull out the boulders, raise a flag for all the nations to see. The Lord has sent this message to every land. Tell the people of Israel, look, your Savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. They will be called the holy people and the people redeemed by the Lord. And Jerusalem will be known as the desirable place and the city no longer forsaken. Will you just take a moment there and, and ask God what he's saying to you? And for a moment, let him just speak to you and galvanize some things in your heart so that you truly leave here having heard from him. God, we just ask you to speak to us this morning. God, your words of life and truth concerning your people. God, we're grateful for your voice.